0: It's good to see you guys again. Everybody good? Good, good. Good to be back in Campbellsville. This week was gone uh, with a couple people. Brent and Sarah and I, we went to uh, a Vineyard Worship Leaders retreat down in Nashville, North Carolina. Hung out with about 125 Vineyard Worship Leaders from all over the states and a few from Canada. And It's always one of my favorite events that happens in the vineyard. Uh, This year was especially good. Uh, you know it's good when the cops get called on you it's one of the reasons I love our tribe so yeah only at uh, there there's certain things that uh around here is uh, that are known as only at the vineyard moments and we had we had a couple only at the vineyard moments so uh after after the the nightly meeting, we would meet at this little this little pizza place in black mountain called called the mill and uh we would hang out and uh well into the night and on the third night there were about eighty of us there, which is. Quite a number for this little place, and they had like a little patio. And well, what ended up happening was everybody decided they would bring a lot of their instruments. So there were, I counted a banjo, I think two mandolins, two fiddles, an accordion, and three guitars. And this sing along sort of broke out, which is not uncommon. This is sort of what we do. And, uh, but it got so rowdy that neighbors called the cops, and the cops came over, and, and three Officer Roys came. <laughs> and, uh, but they were sweet. They were like, this is really lame. Like, we shouldn't be here. This is awesome. You guys should keep going. Why don't you do this? Uh, why don't you guys play two more? And, uh, and then what was really funny is that vineyard worship leaders started having their pictures made with the cops <laughs> and posted them on Facebook. I don't even know what that was about, but it was. Some of you are new and you're wondering, like, what's the vineyard about? That little story I just told you, that's what the vineyard is. Only at the vineyard. Um, all right, I guess I should preach. Hey, if you want, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to look at a pretty good piece of scripture this morning. This morning's message is called uh, Sand in the Gears. And if you're the least bit mechanical, one of the things you know is that it doesn't matter how great the engine is. It doesn't matter how well it's designed. It doesn't matter how much power that engine can produce or how good the driver or the technician is who runs that engine if you get a little bit of sand in the gears you begin to lose performance Uh, that performance may be lost instantly or probably what will happen is just a little bit of sand can get in gears and you won't even notice that performance is lost and then slowly over time things begin to grind and eventually they just grind to a halt does that make sense Friction gets added. And that's what we want to talk about a little bit this morning. Uh, Last week's message and this week's message is coming out of the same passage in Exodus 18. And this is a passage that's really given to us so that we can begin to understand how to handle success. You know, I hope you understand that not all of life's challenges fit under the box of like being able to endure hard things. Sometimes life challenges come when you're actually doing really well. There are some things... There are some things, some unique challenges that come from only success. And how, how do you handle success? Well, one of the things that happens is that when you get successful is sometimes uh, success can take our eyes off of the really tiny bits of sand that would destroy the whole engine. It's just run, it's just running so good, like you just won't even notice it. And that's kind of the way I like to think about this morning's passage. And we're going to read a good chunk here this morning from verses 13-13. Through twenty seven. So here we go. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father in law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses' father in law, and Moses said to his father in law, I do this because the people come to me and they inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses, his father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you. That's. That's some confidence. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And such men, place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. And then finally, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel. And he made them heads over the people, chiefs of the thousands and of hundreds and of fifties and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. And then Moses let his father in law depart, and he went away to his own home country. <clears throat> I want to start with verse 13. Let's look at verse 13 because I think it sort of provides the framework for this whole passage that we've just read says this, it says the next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning to evening. And if you read that verse, it's really easy to just sort of read it and pass right on with it. We assume that it's just a little bit of narrative. It it sounds really innocuous. Uh, It sounds benign. doesn't really seem like there's much of a problem here. Um, And that's one of the reasons why it's, it's so important that we not only just read the scripture, but it's really important that as we read the scripture, we work hard to picture the scripture. Because if we picture it, we're going to see the real issue that Jethro is beginning to speak to his son-in-law about. All right, so here's what I want you all to do. I want you to picture verse 13. I'll read it and I want you to, I want you to put this in your mind. Make it a movie. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. I want you to imagine Moses sitting, and I want you to imagine from morning to evening, there are people around him waiting on his opinion. What's the problem? It's breaking the commandment. Who else? Too many people. It's inefficient. They're waiting on Moses instead of God. Anybody else? What's the problem here? Imagine Moses sitting down and everyone's around him. What does this look like? Looks like Desperation. Looks like desperation. It is actually desperation. They have good reasons for coming to Moses, right? They have problems. And they need to inquire of God. How many of you have ever had, had an issue that you needed to hear from God on and you, you needed some help with that? Anybody in here been like that? Yeah. Sometimes we just need to hear from God, right? All right, now let me reframe the question for you. This will help. Think about the whole context of Exodus. Think about the Exodus story. Who else sits on the throne and has people around him all day long waiting on his opinion? The Pharaoh. This is why it's a problem. This is why it's a problem. It's sometimes hard to imagine. But Moses was slowly becoming a benevolent Pharaoh. What's really interesting about that is it's entirely possible for people's needs And and not just people's like selfish needs, not for not just people's silly needs, but people's actual needs. People's actual needs for God can actually set up an environment or a culture that ends up building a structure that is an Egypt Pharaoh structure. This is really instructive. What I'm trying to get out here this morning is it's entirely possible to have a good motivation and build a demonic structure. Moses was becoming a benevolent Pharaoh. Uh, One of the pictures that we get here, and one of the reasons that I believe that Jethro went to Moses, is because, because a systemic injustice or a systemic system of injustice was beginning to be built. And by the way, oftentimes systemic injustice is oftentimes built out of our desire to bless people. That's what's really crazy. Motivation isn't enough we need to also be people who are focused on what are the forms that, that our motivation gives expression to. When we talk about systemic injustice, this is precisely what Paul means when he talks about principalities and powers. They're those invisible demonic forces that corrupt even good attempts. Uh, how many of you have ever tried to help somebody and in your attempt to help them, you actually made it worse? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There are a lot of things that happen in America, Uh, even things in our government where our government wants to help people. And in an attempt to help them, we actually create a system that keeps people oppressed. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes that's that's that kind of systemic injustice. That is that is what Paul talks about in when he says principalities and powers of the air. These are demonic forces. And I believe that Moses was actually beginning to build a structure that was not God blessed. A little bit of sand and a powerful engine and what's interesting about it is is that the people had genuine needs they came to hear from god it seems innocent but jethro was able to put his grizzled finger right on the issue he says to moses it's not good for you and it's also not good for the people and by the way when it's not good for leadership and it's not good for people this is when change happens if it's good for leadership and not good for people it'll continue if it's good for people but not good for leadership, it typically will continue. Uh, one of the sad conditions of human, of just human nature is the fact that it usually takes it being bad for both of us, leadership and people, before there's change. I feel like that's even an invitation from the Lord. Hey, it would be really great if we could change before it got bad for everybody. And Moses says... <clears throat> To his father-in-law, he says, people are coming to me to inquire of God. And it's really true that people do need to discern God. It is true. It's good and right that sometimes you need some help. Uh, It's also true that the voice of God is not just in the scripture and not just proceeding out of prayer, but often comes from another person's mouth. In fact, the voice of God is often hidden in another person's mouth. Oftentimes people that you would prefer not to hear from. That's a reality. The trouble is this. The trouble is when the voice of God gets located in one man or one woman's mouth. That's what was happening here. It wasn't, the trouble wasn't that people were coming to someone else to hear from God. The trouble was that they were coming to one person. That's when we have a big time problem. Not only that, but if you look at scripture, if you look at scripture from the highest place, if you look at the, Long arc of scripture, the narrative that God is speaking. One of the things that you see is that the arc of scripture is actually pointing to to a day when everyone will know God in his ways and doesn't need a teacher. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11. He says, and they shall not teach each one, his neighbor and each one of his brothers saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That's actually where we're headed. But we live in a time right now when certain parts of our life and certain parts of our life in God are mediated and we need to be able to hear God in another person's mouth. And so because of that, good leadership is a person who teaches people to hear the voice of God. Not, good leadership is not a person who is the voice of God for someone. Good leadership is someone who teaches other people to hear God for themselves. Great leadership is when it's a chorus of people teaching other people how to hear the voice of God great leadership one of the things that i'm praying for here at the vineyard is that we wouldn't have just a handful one person or two people who could hear the voice of god and maybe even train a few people but great leadership like the thing that god is actually calling us to is for a whole whole course of people an entire church who can hear and discern and know god's voice and are able to teach and train and be that voice for other people but then ultimate leadership ultimate leadership comes from god And it points to a day when no man needs to be taught. There'll be a day when no one needs to be taught. And that's where we're headed. We're headed away from the one man or the one woman who does everything. The one person who's in boss. That's a Pharaoh system. Anytime you get involved in a culture where everything bottlenecks at one person... Anytime you get in a culture where, especially as it relates to God, where one man or one woman is the voice and is completely steering the ship for every single other person, that's a Pharaoh system. And God wants to deliver it, people out of that. But right now we're in between. Uh, In the vineyard, you'll oftentimes hear people talk about the now and the not yet, meaning that God's kingdom is here, but it's also coming. And because of that, it means something. It means this. It means for you and I, it means if we can never hear God's word from another person, it means we have a problem. It also means this. If you or I have to always hear God's word from another person, we have a problem. And this is really common. Uh, In fact, it's even common here in our church. There are some people who can never hear the voice of God in someone else's mouth ever, ever, ever. And then there are some other people who are completely dependent on someone else to tell them what God is saying and what he's doing. Both are a problem. Both are a problem. And it's the sort of thing that God wants to build away from. The second thing I see in this passage is that even leaders, even leaders, even amazing leaders like Moses, they need lead. In the whole Old Testament, there's probably not a leader on par with Moses. When you really think about it, he goes from being a shepherd in isolation herding goats and sheep to speaking to the most powerful man on the planet and he leads slaves who have never known anything other than slavery out of the most powerful nation on the earth. He has a staff that can become a snake. He has a hand that can become leprous He has He stood in front of the Red Sea and held his arms With his staff over it and split wide open. I mean, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. But even impressive leaders like Moses, they need to be led. And God is always sending a Jethro to every single person. Everyone in here is a leader and God will send Jethro's to you and I at different points in our lives. A couple things about receiving a Jethro. If you can accept... A Jethro, if you can accept leadership and correction, it's a sure sign you're in the family. It's really interesting because over and over again in this passage, it points out the fact that Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. Correction and leadership, being able to accept that, it actually builds a family tie. And I think it's interesting that it says that Jethro was Moses' father-in-law and not his father. I mean, the story could have gone a lot of different ways. But how many of you understand that uh, the father-in-law is not the blood kin, but he's the father you receive? This speaks of the church. This speaks of the church. One of the things that God wants to do is he wants to be able to give us leadership, uh, not just from my place, but from all all kinds of places in the church. God wants to raise up Jethro's. He wants to raise up mothers and fathers who you weren't born to, but, but you receive anyway. Sometimes people want the benefit of being in God's family, but they don't want the leadership. That's an oxymoron. Secondly, one of the things that we need to realize here is that every leader does things that are not good. Look at verse 17 and 18. Jethro looks at Moses. This takes quite a bit of courage. And he says to him, what you're doing is not good. Every single leader, every single leader probably at times is involved in some things that are not good and you actually need to have a Jethro in your life so that you can get out of it so I want you to think of the most amazing leader uh, in your life or the podcast that you listen to all the time anybody listen to podcasts or you know yeah whatever whatever the person that you you get from the person that you get from uh, maybe it's Maybe, who knows who it is. Uh, maybe it's somebody that's just in your field. Somebody that you study and you really respect. It doesn't matter who the leader is. Every leader needs lead. And every single leader is at times doing things that are not good. And God wants to help them. He wants to help them. Which means, if we can make it personal... Uh, Everybody in here is a leader and no matter how good your leadership is, no matter how closely you've been listening to God, there will be times when you and I get off course in some area and the only way out of it is going to be God is sending a Jethro and we'll have to be able to hear a word of leadership and growth and correction from somebody really close to us and able to to take the next step. One of the crazy things about Moses is, Mistake here is that he didn't even know it. Oftentimes, oftentimes we are wrong and we don't know it. Moses' heart wasn't wrong, at least not yet, but the action was. And the reason that the action was so important is because it's possible to have good motivations but bad form, and bad form still hurts even if the motivation is good. It's kind of like a quarterback who wants to score touchdowns, that's the right motivation. How many of you understand if you're a quarterback, your motivation needs to be score touchdowns? But you can have have the right motivation of scoring touchdowns, but if you're a quarterback with bad throwing motion, it's going to impair your ability to efficiently score touchdowns. Like you can have bad form. Not only that, but bad form will eventually corrupt good motivations. The throwing motion hurts the team's chances. Uh, one of the things I would like to say this morning is that every single person in the room needs a throwing coach. You're like, I don't, I don't coach football. I don't play football. W- wonderful. You need, you need a coach in your life for whatever you're doing. Every single person here needs a needs a person who can speak into their life and bring correction to the form. You may have a good heart motivation, but heart motivation isn't enough. Form really, really matters. Because I personally believe that even though if your heart is right, if the form is wrong, that bad form can eventually corrupt the heart. How does that work? Well, let's just take our quarterback picture here a bit further down the road. Consider a quarterback who has a good motivation, but he has bad form. And let's just say that that quarterback doesn't want to be coached. He's uncoachable. Let's just say that he has a quarterback coach and... The quarterback coach comes to him and says, Hey, your your throwing motion is a little is a little wonky and your release is slow. How many of you understand if your release is slow in football, this is a problem? It's gonna do two things. Number one, it's gonna cause you to throw interceptions, and number two, it's going to, you're gonna get hit. And let's just say that this uncoachable quarterback who has bad throwing motion. And he's a little bit slow. He does not Listen to his coach. Let's just say he just keeps on. He's still got a good motivation. He wants to score quarter. He wants to score touchdowns. He goes out. And because his throwing motion is a little bit slow, he takes a couple big hits. But then one day takes a huge one. And he's like this. Like this. Right underneath linebacker, crushes him, just rips his rotator cuff to shreds, and his arms are just doing this. And then let's say, because that quarterback really does have good. Motivations. Let's say that he does the work and he goes to rehab because he wants to score more. But rehab's going slow, so he takes some HGH and then he takes some steroids and he purposely breaks the rules and he comes back and because he's taking HGH and because he's taking steroids and because those things actually do work, he comes back really strong and like his arm's even stronger than before and he's taking linebackers and he's just throwing them off like rag dolls. The very linebacker who broke his shoulder, he just he throws that guy off and while he's walking by I mean, he, he lets him know it. And then I don't know, that's the way it plays out in my head. And then people praise the quarterback. They're like, This guy's amazing. He was hurt and now he's stronger than ever and he's throwing touchdowns. And did you see him throw that linebacker off? You're like, it was amazing. And then he begin, then he begins to believe the praise. And then he continues to juice because he knows where the power's coming from. He continues to use HGH so he can recover. And he continues to score and then he becomes demanding and then he becomes impatient and everyone takes it from the quarterback because he's winning. How many of you understand that if you're winning, everybody will let you be a terrible person? Yeah, it's really true. He becomes demanding and impatient, not only because he's winning and everybody will throw praise on him, but because the chemicals that he's put in his body, they're, like, they're altering like his hormones and he's, just, he's bonkers. You ever been around somebody who was on steroids? They're crazy. They're absolutely bananas. And then people, but people put up with it because he's winning. And then really slowly over the course of a couple seasons of scoring and winning, he becomes a really terrible person. He becomes impatient and rude and angry and even more uncoachable. And he becomes basically like A diva, and and no one likes him, not even his own teammates. If they were honest, they wouldn't even say they like him. They only like him because he throws them touchdowns, and they can win a few games, and they've gotten better contracts. But as a person, they don't like him. No one goes to eat with him because he's just such a jerk. He embarrasses you at at restaurants. And then one day, the league calls him in and says, hey, uh, we need to give you a drug test. And he takes his drug test, and all these chemicals show up, and he gets suspended. And then what? See, form matters. It can actually ruin you. Like, you can have a good motivation, but if you have terrible form, it can possibly be the little bit of sand that gets in the gears and causes everything to come apart. It's the reason that it looks really benign. Moses is helping the people, but God sends Jethro to him because God knows that if this continues for very much longer, Moses will become a Pharaoh and the people will like it. Thirdly, I'd like to switch gears here just a little bit because we've been thinking of ourselves in terms of Moses. I'd also like for us to quickly here for one moment think of ourselves as Jethro. Jethro is no dummy. How we come to people really, really matters. How we do the work of correction and how we do the work of leading leaders and how we do the work of helping really, really matters. Look at verse 14 and 15 sorry took me a second there how does jethro come to moses if you look closely one of the things you see is that jethro comes to moses with questions comes to moses with questions not demands not ultimatums just questions See, everyone in the room is a Moses and everyone in the room is a Jethro. And sometimes God will ask you to go and do a Jethro work. And when he does ask you to go and do a Jethro work, it would be good for you and I to realize that we should never, ever underestimate the power of a well-placed question. See, a lot of times when, when God begins to invite us into a Jethro work, we go in guns blazing or maybe the... Maybe the systems that began to fall apart and draw our attention to the fact that something needed to change. Maybe those, maybe those are so offensive to us that we want to come in and hit hard. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, no. How many of you have ever had somebody come in and hit hard? It's not fun and rarely works. Questions. Ask a few questions. Ask the Lord to help you know what the right questions are. Because even leaders need to be led. Even leaders need to be led. One thing we might ask ourselves right now is, who is leading me? Who has the right to speak into my methods and my forms? Can you think of someone? Can anyone speak to what you're doing? Can anyone speak to your plans? Have you asked anyone? If someone were to speak to your methods, your plans, your forms, would you be able to hear it? In the last year, have we received uh, correction? Uh, Have we received insight? Have we received benefit help from anyone? If the answer is no, that's a huge problem. Huge, huge problem. The reason it's a huge problem is because great leaders adapt, great leaders adapt, which means, firstly, that the best leaders are often great listeners because they're teachable. I've had the privilege of being around some really great leaders uh, in my life, and one of the things that has surprised me over and over again about the very best leaders is that the very best leaders are extremely open and teachable. Uh, second tier, lower level leaders are the ones who have some stuff that's good, but will not hear anything from anyone over and over again. I've, I've been really, uh, it's been surprising. I don't know why it's been surprising, but it has been surprising to me a little bit. I think because you and I oftentimes have this picture of what great leaders are in our minds and uh, the picture works more like this, like great leaders are people who tell people what to do and how to do it. Uh, Not realizing that great leaders are usually the ones who are asking people and wanting feedback and trying to learn. Great leaders are the ones who want feedback and are trying to learn the most. Why? Because because they know that the key to becoming a, a, a great leader or the key to taking the next step is always adaptation. And we see it in the life of Moses. Who Moses was at the beginning of Exodus is nothing like Moses who sits here in Exodus chapter 18. At the beginning of Exodus, he's a little baby in the Nile, and then he's living in Pharaoh's court, and then he's a murderer, and then Moses is on the run, and then he's a shepherd for 40 years. And then he has a burning bush encounter, and he becomes a miracle-working orator, we might say that. He goes in, he talks to Pharaoh, and he works miracles. But Moses does not stay a miracle working orator. What we see is as Moses progresses, he begins to adapt. And by the time we get to chapter 18, Moses is an administrator of people. See, one of the things that God wants to do is he wants to he wants to develop every single person in here. And I want you to hear this. Whatever you're doing right now will not be what you're doing later if you're listening to God. The forms that you are known for and the forms that you know now will not be the forms that you're known for or know later if you're listening to God. He will do something different in your life. Not only did Moses make the journey from miracle working orator to administrator and leader of God's people, but it was also the same for Joshua. You guys remember the story of Joshua, right? At the beginning of the book of Joshua, Joshua is a military conqueror. What is Joshua at the end of the book He's an administrating land divider he's the guy who's telling everybody where which parts of land are theirs A couple things again what one of the things that the scripture is telling us here is that God wants to grow us and he wants to he wants to help us to, to adapt and we should never get super comfortable or have all of our identity built up into one little thing. secondly, uh, one of the things I hear in this is secondly uh, administration. Is really important to God. Like it's not a lower tier thing. It's like a high tier thing. Uh, uh, it is not God's intention that, that you or I stay Joshua conquerors our entire lives. Eventually, somebody has to let what's conquered go and, so that it can be a blessing. Your whole life was not meant to just take land and take land and take land. Eventually, you get to enjoy land and give it to people. If you can hear that. So don't fall in love with this one moment. Like whatever you're doing right now, if you're loving this moment, don't fall in love with it. God will change it if you're listening to God. Don't fall in love with what the vineyard is right now. Uh, that's one of the things that'll, that'll kill this church is if we fall in love with what it is right now. Uh, one of the things that slowed us down is falling in love with what we've been. That'll, that's never God's intention. He wants to grow us into something new. Let's don't fall in love with this moment. Growth is always fundamentally about change. And then God begins to adapt Moses even inside of his administrative capacity. And the revelation he gets here is that great leadership is always shared leadership. He was moving away from Egypt and towards Israel, away from isolated towards communal away from one to many. And by the way, this little idea that gets encapsulated in Exodus chapter 18, this is the big idea that the Holy spirit is screaming when he shows up at Pentecost. Because in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would rest on one person or maybe two at the most in a whole generation. But on Pentecost, it was for everybody. It's away from one and it's too many. Like good leadership is, is taking what we have and then growing that capacity in other. Always giving it away. Always giving away. Great leadership is not isolated. It is not drawn into one spot. Not drawn into one location. It is divided. It is multiplied. It is shared. And because great leadership is shared, I feel like there's a great key of mercy in this passage for us here. Look at verse 23. Into verse 22, it says, if you do what I'm talking about, it'll be easier for you. And they, meaning the elders, they'll help you. They'll bear the burden with you. Verse 23, great key of mercy. He says, if you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. And everyone will go to their place in peace. The great key of mercy I see in this passage is that endurance is communal. Endurance is communal. If you share leadership, it'll be easier for you. It'll also be easier for other people. That's what Jethro is saying. But even in places that where we're not leading Uh, This is this is this is something that God has for us that is about leading, but actually extends to areas of our own lives that are beyond leading. If you share your burden, you'll find endurance and you'll find strength. Uh, Endurance is always communal. Uh, Endurance is not great personal strength. Uh, Rather, endurance is the wisdom to ask for help. Now. uh, There have been times here at the vineyard where as the pastor of the vineyard. Uh, Even though we're not a huge congregation, I've been maxed out. And there have been a couple moments in my life where, in the last six years, where I just nearly lost it. Like, just nearly, nearly melted down. Two years ago, I nearly lost it. Uh, The staff thought that 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 was it. Like, they thought, Adam's done. They thought, well, that was a good ride. And I guess, God, who's the next guy, (laughs) you know? But in that, in that moment, I began to realize in a brand new way that there's a limit to my own strength. And then when I did ask for help, a great relief came. See, endurance is always communal. And we need to know this because the truth is there are plenty of things in life that you cannot handle. Plenty of things in life. Plenty of things in leadership and then plenty of things just in life that you can't handle. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, isn't there something in the Bible where it says God won't give you more than you can handle? Well, number one, that's not in the Bible. And number two, it's not true. (laughs) People regularly receive more in life than they can handle. Regularly receive more in life than they can handle. When people say God won't give you more than you can handle, what what they're doing is they're misquoting a passage in Corinthians where Paul says, That God will never tempt you. He'll never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. And how many of you understand that there's a profound difference between suffering and temptation? Do you know what the difference between suffering and temptation is? The difference is this. In temptation, you always have a choice. In suffering, you rarely do. You will regularly, I'm here to tell you, you will regularly, regularly in life, if you live long enough, you will regularly experience pain and suffering that is more than you can handle. Isn't this great news? (laughs) I'm trying to be encouraging this morning. It'd be worse news if I'd never told you. Or if I sold you some bill of goods. No, the truth is, you'll regularly receive things in life that you can't handle. That's that's life. That's one of the reasons we need the church. And, And God promises that if we will... If we will give away, if we will give away leadership, you'll be able to handle the burden of leadership. But also, if you will give away the pain, like if you will, if you will allow yourself to be open and vulnerable, this is really what this whole passage is about. It's about it's about going against the grain, and the grain here is the desire for everyone to think I'm great, for everyone to serve me. It's a Pharaoh desire. It's about being honest enough to go. You know, there's some moments in my life that are not great. And I need some help. Pharaoh would never say that. He would never say. It. Pharaoh receive. He wants worship. He wants worship. But disciples are always people who are honest about their weaknesses. That's one of the things that makes a disciple of Jesus. We don't always have it figured out, you know, and we can be honest about that. And being honest about that actually multiplies strength back to us. Um, I think many of you in here probably remember several years ago, a really terrible thing happened. Do you guys remember seeing on the news when that crazy person went to that Amish community and shot all of those children. It was it was just awful. I mean, it upset me for weeks. Like, what kind of a person does that? What kind of a person does that? But what was even more to me astounding, even even more astounding than the pain of a crazy man coming in and, you know, just mowing innocent people down who are defenseless, more crazy than that was like a week later the parents of all those children who had died came out and forgave that man. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that? I hope you read that part of the story. That was part of the story. It wasn't just what happened on the front, but on the back. The other part of the story was that they came out and they forgave that man. You think, as a father, I think, you know, you shoot my kid, I may never forgive you. You shoot my kid, I may strangle you with my own hands. And enjoy it. That's just like... You know, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's kind of where my brain goes. You hurt my kid, I rip your face off. <laughs> but that wasn't what happened in that Amish community. And you think, how is that possible? How's that possible? I think it's Exodus 18. I, I think there's something that happens when a community shares the burden. I think it's something that happens. It actually increases our capacity to endure through suffering and not just endure, but to be a blessing and to release forgiveness in the midst of the most atrocious pain. In fact, there have been sociological studies done and they actually confirm this, that that uh, when when tragedy hits a tight knit community, that community is able to transform the pain into forgiveness rather than transmit it into retaliation. And so there are plenty of things in life that I can't handle. There are plenty of things in life that I can't handle in terms of leadership. There are plenty of things in life that you're not going to be able to handle in terms of leadership. Uh, There are things that God is going to raise you up to, and when he does raise you up to that spot, it's going to wear you out. Not only is it going to wear you out, but it's going to wear other people out, and if you'll share the burden, you'll get strength. There are other things in life they are just going to be really painful moments of suffering that will come in your life, in my life. And if we hang on to it like it's ours to fix, we'll never make it. But if we share it, there'll be endurance that comes. Lots of things that I can't handle, but there's almost nothing that we can't handle. So a few questions for this morning to meditate on. Take a screenshot. Write them down. When you're praying this week, think on it. Question number one. Am I steering my life in a way that's going to make me a Pharaoh? What do I mean by that? Are you arranging everything so that at the end of the day, success means that people serve me and think I'm great? Even if you have a good motivation to bless people. Number two, can anyone speak into my life? Maybe the better question is, has anyone spoken into your life in the last year? If no one has spoken into your life and said, hey, like, that's probably not a good sign. Probably not a good sign. And I know we all know the horror stories of like abusive leadership. Goodness goodness gracious. You want to hear about crazy, abusive leadership stories? Just ask Ray Hollenbach to lunch someday. (laughs) Ray Hollenbach has been through the ringer. He's been through the ringer. But at the same time... If, if you can, if you never, if, if someone never, ever, ever Jethro's you, ever, that's a problem. It's a real problem. Can anyone speak into my life? Uh, we might also ask ourselves this. Uh, when was the last time I asked someone, hey, what do you think about what I'm doing? And then finally, what transitions... Or transformations am I afraid of? And why? Sometimes God's grace comes on our life. We, we see some growth, and we're like really excited about that growth, and we really love it, and we've built our identity into that and then we kind of begin to see around the corner a little bit and we already begin to see that the next season is nothing like the season we're in even though we love the season we're in and we don't want to let go and we get really afraid of letting go and we get really afraid of letting go if we get really afraid of letting go guys we can't we can't change and god wants to he wants to continually keep us changing and growing and So one of the things we might want to ask ourselves is, what's the transition I'm so afraid of and why? Why? Amen. Amen. If you're on ministry team this morning, why don't you come up? Yeah, why don't you guys stand up this morning? I want to pray for you. When I'm finished praying, um, if you need prayer for anything this morning, if you're sick in your body, these guys want to pray for you. If you're just having a tough time, we've got people up here who want to pray for you. Or maybe you just need to even respond to the message. We've got people who want to pray for you as well. That's also appropriate. Why don't you just put your hand on your heart? Lord, we love you in this place. And God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear the Jethro's that you occasionally send to us. Father, I ask that you would that you would help us receive correction, that you'd help us receive insight, that you'd help us receive um, just knowledge on how to do something better. God, I ask that you would help us to receive the strength of the community that you've planted us in. Father, I also ask that you would develop us into the kind of people who want to release others into leadership, who want to take what we have and share it and give it and grow it and and teach and and expand and, and become the kind of people who are not so interested in holding on to everything so tightly, but people who have hands wide open. God, I ask that you would give us the grace in this community to be a church that... Leans on each other and can receive endurance. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, who is wonderful. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, you come on up. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug.